Welcome back, everybody, to the Innovative Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Stickle, back with Stephanie Hurd, my co-host. Hello. And today we have a special guest joining us once again, Rick Weldon. He's the president and CEO of the Frederick County Chamber of Commerce. Rick, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Stephanie. It's great to be here. Looking forward to it. We, we've been looking forward to having you on and, and chatting with you here. Uh, before we get into it, though, do you just want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? what you're up to, how you got here, et cetera. Sure. So I'm a native Delawarean and you don't run into us that often because it's such a small <laughs> no. state. Wow. Um, yeah. So I grew up in uh, Newcastle County, Northern Delaware as a freshman at the University of Delaware. Uh, my father and I concluded that um, four years at Delaware wasn't going to work because of how uh, unserious I was taking my education. <laughs> So I had the choice to pay for my third semester myself or find another solution because he wasn't going to write that check. <laughs> so the other solution was the, the Navy Department. So I enlisted in the Navy. Um, I served in the submarine service, United States uh -huh. Navy submarine service for four years and learned enough about myself and my place in the world through that experience that I could take um, my education more seriously, which I did after, after I got out. Um, Four years in on a ballistic missile submarine punching holes in the North Atlantic um, prepared me really well for the end of my enlistment. I went to work for the Navy Department as a civilian, essentially doing the job out of uniform that I did in uniform and in an office as opposed to a submarine. Interesting. I worked in underwater acoustics for the Department of the Navy. Huh. I did that for 13 years and then following President Reagan's eight-year term and President Bush the first's four-year term, um, we, the taxpayers of America, made a huge commitment to the military under the Reagan-Bush regime so that when President Clinton was elected, it was time to shift things. So I literally got home from work at the Pentagon one afternoon, went to the mailbox, and there was a registered letter from the Office of Personnel Management informing me in very structured technical terms that as the youngest GM-13 in the office I worked in in underwater acoustics, I was subject to being bumped, bumped, and they use the word bumped, out of my job <laughs> by 122 coworkers. I was the lowest seniority professional in wow. that office. So OPM helpfully suggested I take a structured buyout and leave the federal service because if I didn't and stayed and got bumped, I would get nothing. Mm. I would just be unemployed. So, you know, I guess I was in my late 20s. That was frightening enough that I thought, man, oh. maybe I better do this, right? Of course. So I yeah, did. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, took the buyout. Um, we sort of, Amy and I restructured kind of where we were financially at the same time that was happening, the town I lived in, Brunswick, on the western edge of Frederick County, right on the Potomac River, I was a daily mark commuter down to D.C. They were looking for a new city administrator. The city administrator had been fired <laughs> under a bit of a controversy. And I thought, well, look, I don't really know the first thing about this business, but I'm pretty sure I could figure it out. Yeah. And the commute is, um, you know, pretty attractive. It's a mile and a half bike ride. Although as Stephanie and I were talking about before we started <laughs> taping, 
downhill to work, it's a pretty easy walk and bike ride. <laughs> Home up a 45 degree slope isn't quite as attractive. A little bit different. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, so that I literally changed my life with one decision. Wow. I, I, I instantly became better connected to my family, my community, the things that really sort of matter to me um, by giving up that great, glorious federal job and gone to work in the town that I lived in working for my neighbors. Wow. Um, and that single decision kind of informed everything that happened after that. And really betting on yourself in in that position, right? Because I mean, you're, you're diving into something yeah, it's different. Talk about a leap of faith. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, just saying, you know, I can probably figure it out. That's, yeah. that's quite the risk there. I mean, how, how long did you have to weigh on that or, or, uh, or did uh, it just come to you? No, I, so I think I was, I certainly was more comfortable than Amy was. Um, but, but no, I, I have maybe, maybe too much confidence. Maybe that's also <laughs> informed some of my decisions, particularly to run for political office. But, um, you know, I knew I, I could make it work. I mean, it, and what's interesting about it is a job like that um, in a public administrator in a small town, every single day is different than the day before. Every single day. You know, one day it's a, it's a water main break, uh, you know, and the next day it's uh, setting a tax rate, a bad fire in the downtown, heaven forbid. I mean, it was a series yeah. of things. And when you're standing in line at the grocery store or in line at the bank, and the person in line in front or in back of you knows that you're the person that collects their property taxes, their water and sewer bills. They're um, very uh, comfortable sharing <laughs> their thoughts and experiences. Um, sure, it has its it, that's its pros and cons there. Definitely, sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely has its pros and cons. But it, I mean, it was a in terms of the effect it had on my quality of life. It, you know, to not spend four hours a day sitting on I two seventy and four ninety five. Yeah. Um, it literally changed the way I view the world that I operate in. And, and again, probably informed a whole series of decisions that then followed that. Gotcha. What, what was the transition like going from, I mean, the, the military where everyone, everyone comes from the same training program and you're, it's a, it's a very large, well-oiled machine with lots of arms to a small local government where, I imagine the people that are working for you all come from different backgrounds and different types of training. And I would imagine that like leadership style that you had to adapt to was very different. How was that transition? So it probably would have been had I gone this sort of typical route in the Navy. So had I been assigned to a, an aircraft carrier or a destroyer or a cruiser, that's, that experience sort of tracks with what you're saying. You're in boot camp, you're indoctrinated to think the way they want you to think, to function the way they want you to function. The submarine Navy is an entirely different beast, entirely different. So you and 137 of what become your best friends are contained in a um, cylinder that's 400 feet long, 55 feet in circumference, and you're in it for 68, 69, 72 days, and that's it. Mm. And you don't see the sun. And you, the only communication with the outside world are clipped radio messages, 10 of which you're allowed to receive from your family during that time. And they have to be so incredibly clear so there can't be any bad news in them or the Navy won't transmit those messages. Like wow. you won't get a message that says, mom and dad um, were killed in a car accident. The Navy censors that. They don't send that to a sailor on a submarine. Um, 
that idea, that concept of being around 138 people, and back then it was it was all guys. It isn't now, but it was then. Um, you literally have to have a, a personal style and a personality that can adjust. And the Navy's very careful to test and make sure mm. you can fit that mold. If you're over six foot two, you don't get in. If you <laughs> you know have a body fat percentage of a certain amount, you don't get in. If you have any issues with claustrophobia, um, anger issues, you're screened out through a very, it's almost cr creepy and uncomfortable psychological assessment that you go through to determine that you can survive mm -hmm. in that environment. So probably better suited okay. to where yeah. I got dumped after the Navy bump, um, convinced me to leave or be bumped. Um, this idea that, look, if you and I have a disagreement and we're going to see each other all the time, we're mm -hmm. going to have to sit together when we eat. We're going to have to sit together in the library when we're off duty and we're reading or in, in our workspace. We can't escape one another. If we have an issue come up between us, we've got to figure it out and we've got to uh, develop the tools, the mental and emotional tools to be able to resolve those kinds of conflicts. Um, I can tell you that in the 141 members of the House of Delegates, I had no trouble adapting to working with a black delegate from East Baltimore. Even though I was a white guy from Frederick County, I had no trouble at all because I had been through, you know, uh, the forge of my personal style, my leadership style, my communication style on that submarine where, you know, chest thumping table pounders don't survive in that environment right. because you'll get nothing done. Mm -hmm. You've just made everything you have to do harder. Um, so yeah, I, I probably had a huge advantage in that my test scores yep. were high enough to put me on board a submarine. Well, and that's such an interesting perspective. You, you were talking about, you know, you run into the person that's unhappy with the tax increase at the grocery store, but at least you're not stuck underwater in a submarine with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It, and, and the Navy, the training, so I, somebody ought to write a book. That's not going to be me, but somebody ought to write a book about it. Because I've read a lot of books about um, Navy SEALs, like special operations, and and taking those skills and tools and bringing them into like a corporate environment. The training that we did, because this is literally how you have to approach it, 138 people, each one of whom might be totally responsible for saving your life at any point in time. So I got aboard that boat and I didn't know the first thing about mechanicals. I had to learn every single system on that boat, hydraulics, high pressure air, seawater, the nuclear reactor, because you could literally be walking through a, an entire compartment by yourself when something goes wrong. Hmm. You have to know what valves to close off. You have to know what systems to shut down. You have to know how to put out a fire, stop a flood, because by the time somebody else gets there to help you or to tell you what you have to do, the boat could be on the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, so that that kind of training, um, I, I think it probably would benefit everybody. It's certainly the idea that you've got to creative problem solve. You know, you've got to be um, put yourself in a position to figure out how to relate to somebody um, because it's not always easy, and we don't always agree. Right. But you got to figure out how you navigate that path because you ain't getting away from them. 
Um, yeah. You're going to be around them for the next 72 days. So, and you can't keep putting on boxing gloves and going in a level, lower level missile compartment to fight <laughs> it out. That's only good once or twice. And then you're going to find a better way to solve that problem. It's funny the way you describe it. It almost sounds like a social experiment when you, when you put it in those terms because, and in a way it kind of is, but um, just to be there and it's just necessary that you do become kind of, like you said, best friends with everyone. Cause if not, you're going to have a really rough time what? and, and it, and it literally is life or death in that situation. Yeah. So I've taken every single um, human um, information absorption test, personality indicator test that you can take in, in the professional work that I've done since the Navy. But I'll tell you, I learned more about myself and how to relate to other people those three and a half years on that boat than I have at any point since. Wow. And, that's, um, and the hands-on experience is obviously just invaluable, right? Uh, absolutely. And so these tests are important and as, and as long as you know how to use them and, and read them and analyze Benefit them. Benefit from them. Right? Yes, exactly. But uh, to actually do the thing, that's what's what's important. And we can apply this to the workplace, right? Obviously a far less extreme version of it, but you, you have to be around these people five days a week. Right. That's, that's pretty important just from the people aspect, not just can they do the work. Right. We talk about that so often here is getting the right people in here as much as can they do the job, right? It has to be a balance. And so um, to bring them in and they need to get along with people and can they adapt to this person? If you know what, it's okay to butt heads, right? It's okay to disagree with someone. It's, it's like you said, you have to adapt, find a way to get along, find a way to have those conversations. Um, and we talk, we talk about it constantly. So to, to hear from that experience, and I, I think it's an experience a lot of people wouldn't think exists. You think, Oh, you're in a submarine. Okay. You know, some people get along, some don't, it's whatever, but it, can't really be that way, right? So I'll give you one um, example that really sort of amplifies the clarity. So when we bring in a new employee into our corporate environment, you guys here at Innovative, any employer brings in a new employee. We all have these structured programs to train them on what they need to do, read the employee handbook, sign it, understand how leave requests work and <laughs> HR stuff. On a submarine, that new sailor that's come aboard is going to be as important to me as the senior guys that are on that boat. We've got to teach this kid those same systems that somebody taught me. This transfer of knowledge and this sense of mission, focus, and ownership is critically important in an environment because literally that kid could get up from the dining hall, the galley, and walk back through the boat and a, a, a seawater valve could break open. If that kid's not comfortable enough with the knowledge he's been given to know what to do or who to call, how to call, how to shut the system down, it's going to kill you. That yeah. lack of understanding will kill everybody on that boat. So we didn't view new guys coming aboard as, oh, crap, there's the new guy. You know, <laughs> send him off in the corner, give him the tech manuals and hope he learns. No, no, no. It's a nurturing ownership and recognition that, look, we've got to give this kid these tools that he needs to succeed because I need him to go stand a watch and be comfortable, confident that he's going to do it right and not kill us. Um, yeah. 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 I, I guess we can use that to transition a little bit um, into some of your roles in leadership because obviously bringing in new people, making sure that the right people, can they adapt? Um, do you want to talk a little bit and we can compare um, and contrast some different positions you've had leadership as an elected official versus a business leader because there are two different types oh, of yeah. responsibilities you're reporting to different people 
Can you kind of sit and compare those a little bit? Sure. Well, I'll try. I'm not sure how eloquently I can 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 pull that one off. But um, so the reason I'm no longer an elected official. So I served two terms in the House of Delegates. That's eight years. A substantial portion of my professional experience, eight years. Yeah. Almost too much. So I'm a firm believer that the founders who created this wonderful constitutional republic that we function in did not intend for our elected officials to make careers out of these positions at any level, federal level, state, county, even city of Hagerstown. They didn't intend for these jobs to be permanent. In fact, if you read the Federalist Papers, you pretty quickly get a sense that Madison was thinking, you know, the farmer should leave the farm, the banker should leave the bank, the teacher should leave the classroom, come to the federal legislature, bring their experience and their knowledge and their contacts and their biases, and then go back to the farm and the bank Mm. and the classroom. But power is seductive. You know, influence is incredibly seductive and both good and bad. Um, I, I can tell you there were nights when I left my district office as the state delegate for District 3B, and I had the incredible pleasure of representing pretty much all of Southern Frederick County and a little tiny corner of Southeastern Washington County, Dargan, Weaverton, Sandy Hook, that area. And for people who don't know that area, I urge you to go down there. (laughs) Um, Go to a Potomac Valley Fire Company in Dargan Saturday morning breakfast. Um, You'll learn as much as you need to know and you'll fall in love with it. But um, there were nights when I locked the door in my district office where I was able to connect a senior with a prescription drug discount that let them keep getting a drug that they needed to take that they couldn't pay for. Or um, a a single mom who was having trouble getting um, court-ordered payments from her ex to support her child was able to accelerate that process because it could be incredibly frustrating. And when when your head hits the pillow, when you look at yourself in the mirror, when you're brushing your teeth at bedtime, there, there's an incredible power that comes from, wow, I was able to turn the wheels of government and fix that person's problem. And there probably wasn't any other way to do that. Mm. That's very powerful. But likewise, if you find yourself walking into a room of 200 people and enjoying the fact that everybody turns and looks at you and wants to come have a conversation with you, if you fall in love with that concept, you've crossed the line. It's become... It's not going to be a good outcome. And, and yeah. there are millions of examples of that. So um, un- understand your power, but don't make power the goal, I guess, is what, what you're saying. And so I think this idea of term limits, and I never used to support political term. I used, here's what I used to say. Somebody would say, what do you think about term limits? And I would say, the best form of term limit is a well-informed voter. And then I went out and met 50,000 voters <laughs> and, and have disabused myself of that notion. because there isn't any such thing as a well-informed voter. We are by nature um, influenced by our biases. We listen to the news sources that confirm what we think. We read newspaper articles that align with what we think. Um, The idea that I used to wake up in the morning and I would watch an hour of when Don Imus, the radio shock jock in New York, had a, a TV show, a news show in the morning. I would watch an hour of Don Imus uh, an hour of Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski on MSNBC, and then an hour of Fox and Friends. 
I mean, it almost makes you psychotic, um, <laughs> right? B because your brain is filled with three different views of the same exact set of facts um, presented to you three completely different ways. But if you don't understand that, that that's how we take in our news, then you would never understand why our politics is so fundamentally screwed up. Um, and it's, it's in our nature, really, to seek out things sure. that reinforce how it, we feel. So absolutely the, fa the fact that it is so readily available is obviously going to influence a lot of people. And, um, you know, we could probably do a, a six hour, 20 yeah, hour yeah. podcast about, about the political divide and all that. But yeah, we, people are going to find the information that they want to find, of course. So leadership in the public space, in the elected space is really all about trying to understand what people's expectations are and what it is you can do to um, fulfill those or meet those expectations. In a corporate environment, it's very different, right? You have a focus on the PL and sort of the bottom line has to inform and guide whatever it is you do. Um, where in the you know political space, part of the a big part of the problem is that our political leaders, for the most part, think in terms of for your increments. How do I avoid taking risks that jeopardize my chances for re-election? When you, when you as a, you know, elected official, free yourself of that bond. In my case, it was to announce two years prior to the election I wasn't going to seek re-election. So that let people who aspire to run for office figure that out, put a campaign together, but it allowed me to have conversations with my colleagues that weren't informed by. Wow, if somebody sees me talking to her, how, what are they going to think? Because she's a liberal Democrat from Prince George's County, and I'm a conservative from Western Maryland. Um, so that that's a fundamental difference is what is it that motivates you? And if it's the bottom line, shareholders, customers, clients, vendors, um, it's a different way you approach yeah. issues in the workplace and issues with colleagues and subordinates and stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting because... The, the motivation behind why you do certain things, I feel like is more important than what you're actually doing. Almost right? always. Yeah. Almost always. Because if, if the goal is to just get reelected, then it's, well, how much are you really doing the job? And obviously in, in business, you care about the bottom line, but if that's the only thing, then how successful are you really, especially as a leader, more than even a manager or right. owner. So to, to find the motivation behind it, I think that's a really interesting point that I didn't really even think of here in my in my little show notes. So I'm glad you brought that up. We can we can jump to a more more recent role you held. Um, you were the co one of the co chairs on the transition team for uh, County Executive Frederick County Executive Je Jessica Fitzwater. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? That was first of all, it was really fun. It almost killed me, literally. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Oh my goodness. Um, so uh, the two people that. Uh, we're running in a general election for county executive. Both have been friends of mine for a long time. Um, State Senator Michael Huff is a, you know, I've known Michael since he was a young uh, political intern for another state elected official years ago. In, in fact, that state elected official is now a United States Congressman in, over in West Virginia. His name is Alex Mooney. Um, and Michael was a, an aide to then Senator Mooney. Um, Jessica, I knew because she had served two terms on the county council and as the CEO of the chamber, I have to interact with the county council a lot. Um, so I knew them both. Um, I don't know that I had a preference in terms of politics, um, you know, without telling you who I voted for. I, 
I don't, I didn't have strong feelings. I, I certainly had a preference. Um, when Jessica was elected, a lot of people were surprised. I don't know that I was as surprised as some people um, because I think Jessica connected with voters on a really visceral level. Um, and when an elected official can figure that out, they often have a really good shot at succeeding, even if the polls don't say that. Um, but it took like eight days to certify the vote in Frederick County. I mean, our local board of elections was really struggling with that process. So uh, it was a Friday night. They certified like Friday afternoon. That evening, that Friday evening, at eight o'clock, my cell phone rings. I look and it's Jessica Fitzwater. So I picked up the phone and said, congratulations. She said, I have a really difficult question to ask. Okay. <laughs> she said, would you consider co-chairing my transition? And the first words out of my mouth were, you do know that I was a Republican when I served in office, <laughs> right? You do know that. Um, because I would think that there are a lot of your supporters that are going to look at this decision to ask the CEO of the chamber. That's a, it's almost like asking the, the Monopoly guy with the top hat <laughs> and the monocle, right? <laughs> to, to, you know, chair your transition. And you, you ran as a progressive Democrat. She said, well, think about it. Mike, talking about Senator Huff, Mike cast me as anti-business for the last year. What stronger message could I send the business community, particularly small businesses, than to ask the CEO of the chamber, who is a former Republican state elected official, to chair my transition, to give an opportunity, a lane for the business community to express itself to the, the new incoming county executive. So I thought that makes a lot of sense. So I said, I'll tell you what, I can't say yes or no. I got to call my board. I got to make sure this is okay with the board of directors of the chamber, <laughs> but I'll do that and I'll call you back. And when I talked to the board, to a person, they all said, look, this would be an incredible opportunity for our members to be in, in a position to help the new county executive launch her, um, her service. And I had all that experience. I mean, I was a former county commissioner. I was a former state delegate and town manager. Um, so it would have been a dereliction of duty to not do whatever I could do to help her. And I think every voter owes that to an elected leader who comes to them and asks whether it's Takesha in, in Hagerstown or uh, Mike, Michael O'Connor in, in City of Frederick. When they ask you for your help, you help. If you believe in this stuff and you believe in the system, you help. So that was incredible. Uh, it was an incredible opportunity. 180 people on our transition process broken up in seven broad policy areas. And there was nothing that Jessica said was off the table. So she didn't give us a set of instructions that said, look, I have predetermined outcomes in affordable housing or tax policy or public education. She didn't say that. She said, I want to hear what people think, what experts think, people that are directly affected, stakeholders. Um, very powerful. The report, you can view it online on the county's website. It's pretty amazing in its scope. Um, and she's going to get us back together once a year to look at how we're, how she's doing, how her government's doing. Nice. She's working on a dashboard now that'll be on the county website that tracks all of the recommendations to see how they're doing in terms of implementation. And then the full transition team will get back together once a year for the next three years to measure and score how we're doing and see if we need to make subtle changes or shifts in recommendations, but really, really powerful way to do it. And I, I think um, it speaks to Jessica's potential for success that she was open-minded enough to sort of think beyond the norm and not be too concerned about what the, you know, 
standard political interest would be that it was that this is bigger than that. When I was a kid, my dad was very involved in politics up in Newcastle County. In fact, my dad was the chairman of the Republican Party organization in Newcastle County for like a decade when I was a young teenager, adolescent. When I was 14 or 15 years old, he said one thing to because I think he could tell I was interested in this stuff. He said, here's one piece of advice I'll give you, Rick. And I'm going to get choked up because he, he just passed in March. But anyway, and our, and our celebration of life is, for him is coming up on August 20th. But he said, learn how to disagree with somebody on a matter of public policy without losing respect for your shared humanity, right? Fight like hell when it comes to a matter of principle, but recognize you got to be smart enough to know that not everything is a matter of principle. And there's a bunch of stuff that we have to do to make people's lives better that shouldn't just inure to the benefit of the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. It should inure to the benefit of human beings. And we share this humanity. And I have to tell you, it, it worked every single time I remembered the advice. It has worked every single time. I wanted to, and maybe you just answered my question, but I wanted to ask if there is a, a top skill or attribute someone, someone should have when you get in these rooms where you're with you know, some people you agree with, some people you disagree with, and you need to come to these compromises or have these important discussions, especially, I mean, when you're in government, this is, we're talking about people here. Like, sure. All, you know, Frederick County, this is important stuff. Um, what's what's an important attribute someone should have, or if there's one that's top of mind yeah, so when I you think get into are, those rooms? There are a couple, but I think the most important is to recognize what it is you don't know. Hmm. So I got, I got elected in 2002. They put me on the Health and Government Operations Committee. I went to the Speaker of the House and I said, Mr. Speaker, I don't know the first thing about healthcare in Maryland. All I know is as a city administrator in Brunswick, I had to put together a health plan. So I had to look at United Healthcare, Care First, Kaiser Permanent. I had to look at these plans and see how you know they'd address employees' needs. That's that is the sum total of my understanding, and that I get a physical every year, and I get an eye exam and a dental exam, and I mean that's it. He said, "Well, no, that's not really true. The committee you're going to serve on is going to deal with the state procurement code, and when you work for the Navy, now this is going back more than a decade at that point." He said, when you work for the Navy, you were in um, system acquisition and underwater acoustics. So you understand contracting and negotiation. So it isn't that simple. But here's what you do. Make up for the knowledge that you think you lack. So I would go back to my either the first year I was elected, I stayed down there during the session. After that, I started to commute back and forth every day. But the first year, so I'd go back to my hotel in Annapolis with a big Tupperware box filled with all the testimony for the next day's bill hearings. Um, And so recognizing what I didn't know um, and being willing to put the time in, invest the energy to increase my level of understanding. They talk about lobbyists in Annapolis or on Capitol Hill, and they're always a pejorative, right? It's somebody that's going to squeeze you or try to take you out for a a meal to get your vote, which is against the law in, in Maryland. I didn't view it that way. I viewed lobbyists as people that had access to knowledge that I needed. Didn't mean I had to agree with it, but I had to have enough of an understanding about an issue to know that there are going to be two sides. And both sides have facts that they should be sharing with me. Um, And then the other thing was the people who would vote differently than I did. To me, it was more important to understand what motivated them and their vote than 
to be assured in the reasons that I had developed my own understanding. One, it made me a better debater if I understood more about what motivated them. But two, I would often find facts, policy knowledge that I hadn't had that informed my decisions and changed the way I viewed a problem. Um, like Medicaid. I mean, I, I'd never used Medicaid. Nobody in my family had ever been on medical assistance. But when I sat and talked to people who were dependent on Medicaid for their basic health care, I had a much greater understanding of how complex this is, how difficult that process was to navigate. So that would be the, the first skill would be know what you don't know and invest the energy to try to expand that base of knowledge. It's going to make you so much more effective no matter what you have to do. The second is, and I'm not practicing it here with you, but <laughs> listen more than you talk always. Um, because the more you do it, the more frightening the recognition, the realization that you don't know everything. And that there are people that are walking beside you every single day who have greater insight to share with you than what it is you think you've accumulated and assembled in your own brain. When you, when you make that, come to those realizations, look, the ceiling is, is off in terms of what you can accomplish. I, I've always, when you look at somebody in those positions and everything that they have to truly understand and all of the different topics that could come across their desk, you know, you were talking about the, the danger in those positions is when you get kind of high off of the power and that doesn't really lend itself to being humble and acknowledging that I don't know everyone, everything, and I need all of these people to be able to teach me. I mean, I had dinner recently with somebody who's done um, a fair bit of lobbying and like water quality, clean water, that kind of thing. And we were talking about how do you go talk to a senator who just came out of a hearing about aliens <laughs> <laughs> and now have to convince him that he needs to vote a certain way on this clean water bill? Like, I mean, that is yeah. just, that is such a crazy mix of topics that, yeah. that, that oh, yeah. come across your desk in a well, day. You think about it. And just in the state legislature, there are 188, 141 uh, delegates and 47 senators. And they are literally expected on the first day they take the oath to understand enough about every single one of the th literally thousands of votes are going to cast in 90 days. And there's no way that's possible. Einstein wouldn't be able, Oppenheimer wouldn't have been able to know everything about tax policy and banking and financial services and the criminal law code, healthcare. So you de you're dependent if you're smart. You're dependent on the people that have acquired a different base of knowledge and life experience to share that with you in order to know what in the hell you're doing. Or you're going to be uh, marginally effective and focused on completely the wrong things. Well, and I mean, that's a leadership lesson that spans, I mean, you look at private industry, nonprofit, community, when a leader can recognize, I need my people, and it's not my people need me. When you assemble a team that you truly need everyone's skills on that team to be able to do your job and recognize that and enable that. So on my little Moby Scribe device that I carry with me everywhere, if I lose this thing, I, I literally am dead because it's not backed up anywhere. But um, oh, cool. Ooh. Or it's backed up on itself. Um, but <laughs> that makes our IT hearts hurt a little bit. Bad word. <laughs> yeah. So this morning up. at five forty-five, I'm I find myself in the notes section for the five women that I work with, writing down for three of them some things I wanted to say to them today 
this day, because we're going to be together in an event at Musket Ridge tonight, to help them with specific things we're trying to do to build them up and move them forward on their leadership journey. So I did that. And then I thought, why am I not sharing this? So I opened up Facebook right after I did that. You'll see it if you look on my page and, and we're friends on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, and I wrote, my primary obligation today is to figure out what I am doing today to help those five women advance on their leadership journey. And I do this five days a week, right? The first, well, the first 45 minutes of my day is I read the Herald Mail online. I read the Frederick News Post online. I read Baltimore Sun online. And then I open that notebook. And I jot down two or three things I want to make sure I share with them today. Jen, to help Jen run Leadership Frederick, to help Kimberly, our CFO, with some number stuff. Our newest employees, a gal named Maddie Wilson, who just graduated from Hood. And Maddie's amazing. She's going to do amazing things. But there are things I can share with them, just simple observations I can share with them to make today be powerful for them um, in really small, incremental ways. And so I went on Facebook and said, this is what I do. You should do this too. Mm -hmm. um, because this is what builds loyalty with the people that you work with. Um, it builds a, a sense of shared mission and purpose. All the stuff the Navy on the submarine, yeah. those same sort of lessons I learned there, um, I'm executing now today, 40 years later. Hmm. I did like the, uh, the point you made where basically be smart enough to admit you don't know everything. I think that's just a funny, um, funny way to frame it, but it's, it rings very true that, uh, the, the best lead, nobody, nobody who is a great leader will claim they know everything. I don't think that's possible. Um, but you mentioned, uh, leadership Frederick County, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Uh, you mentioned before you did listen to our episode we did with the terrorists from leadership, Washington County. Um, and I just wanted to talk to you cause you, uh, you, been involved with leadership Frederick County since um, 1998, 1998, which was the year I was born. Actually, oh, wow. <laughs> very cool. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to to let give you a platform here, real quick, just to talk about the value of programs like that and the impact they have on the you know the community and really <laughs> the country at large. Because I mean, you see these programs all across all across the country. I think it's the most important thing. So I'm at the sunset of my career, right? If if our careers are hourglasses, there's not a lot of sand left in mine. It's draining at an alarmingly fast rate. I'll be 65 in a month. Um, this is the most important thing I will have done during the term of my professional career, such as it is. When I sit across the table from somebody who I helped navigate that journey and look at who they are and what they're doing in their life, um, how they've taken those little disconnected, sometimes odd, sometimes um, ugly um, in the way they were put together, but, <laughs> but see who people become when they understand the power of this opportunity and how they take advantage of it is literally the most rewarding um, aspect of anything that I've done in my life. Um, and to be able to say that when you're turning 65, it's a big deal. So why is it a big deal? Um, since I went through the program and, and I did it for purely selfish reasons. I was the city administrator, city of Brunswick. I wanted to run for county commissioner. I recognized that the only people that knew me 
were people that lived around me or that I worked for in Brunswick, which wouldn't get you elected even in Brunswick. <laughs> um, so I knew that was a problem. I also knew that I lacked a depth of knowledge in issues that really mattered. So I saw this program, Leadership Frederick County. I applied. And back then, I think it, cost, it was $1,700 to go through the program. Well, my employer thought, well, we're not paying for that. So if this is something you think you want to do, you got to figure out how you cobble that money together. Um, from the moment I met my 35 classmates, I knew this was going to be a transformative moment in my life. I knew it. And it was a transformative moment in my life. So I tried to stay connected to as many classes after that as I possibly could, never having even a glimmer of an idea that someday I would run the Chamber of Commerce and be responsible for helping other people develop that same sense of affinity for that program. But this concept that in nine content days, you can share with somebody the hidden connections that make everything that we celebrate possible. Um, because we take a different approach than leadership Washington County does. Um, for us, it's it's a fully curated program where I think there's power in the approach that leadership Washington County does where the students going through the program kind of curate their experience. I think that's really great because you, you instantly get to know people um, in, of influence in other areas. For us, we want that to be a, you come on a journey with us. We're going to share with you everything you need. So everything you need to learn, everything you need to be exposed to, the good and the bad. Um, and to watch how I think there, it's over a thousand people that have been through the program in the years that I've been involved with it, to look at who they are and to look at what they're doing, whether they've stayed, you know, sort of Frederick centric or gone on. I've got, we've got alumni from leadership Frederick that are in Alaska Europe, um, California, but um, the things that these people are doing are, are just amazing. And experiences Stephanie can connect to. We, I interviewed a, because we interview everybody who applies for the program. I interviewed a lady, and I think it was 2014 or 2015. Um, her name was Hermine Bernstein. So she was uh, 67 years old when she was applying to go through this program. So I was really curious, why would you want to do this when you're 67? She said, well, let me ask you a question. You've been elected official in Frederick County. Did you know that there are um, 300 kids that go leave school on a Friday night during the school year and don't know where their next meal is going to come from until they show up at school Monday morning for their free and reduced breakfast? Did you know that? I didn't know that. No. Nor did I. Couldn't put, def, couldn't put a number to it. You would assume some that, that exists, right? Right, right? But She said, and that number is growing every year. And we project in four or five years, it's going to be over 500 children in Frederick County that are um, unsure of where wow. their next nutrition will come from prior to Monday morning. Don't you think something ought to be done about that? I said, yes, ma'am. Something should be done about that. She said, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to create a blessings in a backpack program in Frederick County. And I'm going to use this leadership Frederick County experience to connect me with bankers and funders and sponsors and donors and supporters and I thought, you know, so I told the team, look, she's getting in the class. If I have to pay her tuition myself, she's going <laughs> to get in this class. Um, but I could tell you hundreds of, hundreds of those stories. Um, and wow. yeah, so it, a transformative moment for me, um, but an incredibly powerful motivator for when that alarm goes off at 530 in the morning to get up yeah. five days a week to go do this stuff. 
And that's some powerful perspective to have also, because I think a lot of people, even when they're doing really great things, might struggle a little bit or might be even a little bit too humble on them for themselves to appreciate when they are doing something that that is that powerful or they're changing the world and they don't realize it. So for you to be able to have that perspective and sit back and look and say, oh, this is like probably or maybe is the greatest thing yeah. that I've ever accomplished in my life. I think that's that's really gives people maybe some pause, hopefully, to sit back and look and think, what have I accomplished? Because I think a lot of people in their lives have accomplished a lot more than they they realize or are willing to admit. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. So it's never about the big um the big accomplishment. And the the most powerful stories are always the humblest. Yeah. Right? They you dis, you would describe them as small, but again, taken over the course of time and and the impact in life, they're literally those transformative moments. And they need to be celebrated. They need to be retold. We just had yeah. a 35th mm-hmm. anniversary party. Congratulations um, for, our, for our program. The 35 years of yeah. putting between 35 and 50 people through this experience. Um, and again, it's it's not the stories I'd share. It's not Hermine's story. It's the, uh, the accomplishments for the individual are maybe smaller in scale than that, but no smaller in, in impact. Um, and yeah, it's I'm incredibly proud of this program and what it's going to do. I'm really proud of the fact that I'm no longer running it. That <laughs> one of my step back and employees yeah. now runs this program, and she does such an amazing job. So much better than I did. So much better. <laughs> and I'm not being I'm not being self deprecating or right. trying to be humble here. I'm telling you the truth. She owns this thing, and she brings her uh, professional knowledge and skills in the area of marketing and PR to this program in a way that, frankly, I never did, um, which has elevated. Now we have a waiting list that's twice the number of seats we can fill in any given year. We're turning away 30 people because we fill a class of 35 or 38 every year. I believe I saw on the the website, I think, since it started, has been over 1,200 graduates of yes, the program. I think it's up to 14. And that's, and that's, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure that was yeah. probably posted, you know, however long ago. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, you're talking thousands of people at this point who are going through this program and going out and taking that knowledge. And I think it's great that, that someone else could take over and you not only trust them to do it, but you can praise them as even taking it a step further than you did. I think that's really cool because well, sometimes um, it scares me because I wonder how many other things I do as CEO is, are going to be so <laughs> easy for somebody else to step in and and do, but but it's it goes back to that decision about not running for a third term. Yeah, there's somebody else out there with the same drive and passion that I had when I put my name on that ballot, um, who views life differently than I do. Doesn't think ACDC is the best rock band in the world because <laughs> um, you know they think Greta Van Fleet is yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So um, yeah, so I that's what sort of fuels me and fires me when that alarm clock goes off at five thirty to. And that Pop takes, out of bed and go do stuff. That takes self-awareness. It takes trust in others. It takes an ability to teach in certain cases when you pass on a role to somebody else. Um, those are all just different qualities it takes to be a leader. You don't want to just pass off a program, yeah. say, hey, I'm out of here and good Crush luck. your fingers and hope. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Because um, that's, how, that's how things can get passed along. I mean, you hear often, uh, you know, you hear it a lot in restaurants, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, you know, they it's under new management. It's not quite as good anymore. Service isn't as good. And 
year or two later, the place closes right. down and you hear about that way too often. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the successful family businesses that run for, you know, two, three generations are the ones where you go in and, you know, that meal's going to be good and fresh and people are going to be friendly because they've passed on what it takes to, to succeed there. So we I think just those, gave, we those just are gave leadership our, qualities. We just gave our best places to work awards in Frederick County. I know Washington County does something very similar. Um, and so when I got up to talk to the awardees, here's what I said. Every single one of you have broken the code. You've figured it out. The only thing it takes to be a best place to work in Frederick County is for the leadership of the company, the ownership of the company to recognize that they are most valuable resource. Their most precious uh, resource are the people that work for them. And if every decision they make as a corporate leader is reflective of the fact that they're, the reason for them succeeding is the people that they're signing the front of their paychecks, that's when you get these awards. Um, and, and we only gave out, I don't know, nine awards in three different categories. So it says there's a lot of room yeah. for improvement for corporate leadership to recognize, fall in love with those employees, um, celebrate those employees, build workplace programs around the fact that this, um, this relationship is trusted, it's precious, it's critical to the success of the company. And you won't have to worry about returning a workforce from COVID. And you won't have to worry about building employee loyalty because if you're sincere and you're putting the programs in place to reflect that, the loyalty is organic yeah. um, and the roots set and grow and strengthen. Um, and yeah. tying that back to programs like Leadership Leadership Frederick County, one of the things that I always love is hearing the stories of what draws people to that program. You know, um, when I went through the program in 2016, best class ever, um, <laughs> I was working for the community college. So like the connection was very obvious at that time. I, every single thing that was brought to me in that program was something that I could directly use with my job to help students, to support programs, to make connections with other, I mean, the, the, the college is just so ingrained in every corner of the community. The connection was so obvious. And then when I was looking to make the leap, I had been in kind of quasi-government nonprofit for so long, I was like, hmm, I, I think this chapter is done and I'm ready to make the leap to, to private industry. But that's scary when oh, you've yeah. been in nonprofits, governments for so long, you think, you know, big, bad corporate America is just going <laughs> to chew me up and spit me out. Um, and change in general is scary. Right, oh, right. Yeah. Terrifying. So I found, uh, when I found Innovative and our VP of sales at the time knew some friends of mine through Leadership Washington County. And I saw that Innovative was very invested in that program. And I was like, all right, like I, maybe these are people that I can hang with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then going through uh, Leadership Washington County uh, in the private sector, where maybe the connections aren't as obvious, but then when you look at it from that leadership perspective, there is nothing that a program like that introduces you to that an employee in your company is not going through. You know, oh, yeah. you, and you talked about that. Like, yep. you don't know what it's like to experience certain things, but everything that that program ex exposes you to helps you have empathy for the situations, you know, that your workforce is a reflection of your community, Absolutely. whether it's them or somebody in their family. And it helps you build those connections. And I mean, building, getting involved in the community, building a stronger community, that that builds your stronger workforce. Absolutely. That's where you go to find your people. Um, and it all ties together. And I think the private companies that see that and invest in that um, 
are your best places to work. And everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the community knows it. So when I say Innovative Incorporated, even on the other side of South Mountain, everybody understands what that means. And and that's not true with every corporate entity mm -hmm. in Washington County nor Frederick County. Um, it's th those difference makers are the ones who demonstrate that um, that value that the the people that work for them represent. Well, we're we have under ten minutes left, uh, but I wanted to get this in. I, I'll I'll try to keep us under an hour here. Um, you're very involved with local businesses, obviously being in the Chamber of Commerce. What would you say right now? Because there's a whole lot that's happened to us in the past, well, three and a half years now, of course. Uh, what, what do you think the biggest challenge is right now that local businesses are facing? So there are a couple. Um, workforce is still an issue. Mm -hmm. If you're not that company who has figured out that employee loyalty algorithm, um, <laughs> you're struggling. Um, so that's there's there's no question that that remains an issue. We're getting ready to hold a big summit and uh with the Frederick County Public School System just got a $700,000 grant to work on apprenticeship programs to connect students that are need to be career ready because they're not going to pursue a four-year degree or a, an associate's degree. Right. Um, so that that is an issue. I, you know, I, I read a lot. I listen to a lot of news from a lot of different sources. I'm not as convinced that the public generally, certainly not the Washington County, Frederick County public is as confident in the national economy as national economists like to suggest. So I think that's a real issue. It's a real issue. Um, consumer confidence is driving a level of anxiety. And I see it in retail. You talked about hospitality and food service. Don't get me started on that challenge. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's a real issue. Uh, I think um, in downtown Frederick, so downtown Frederick has a lot going for it. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we all know downtown and Hagerstown would trade much of what they have to replicate that level of success. But but Frederick is not immune to some forces that concern me a lot. Um, the approval of legal cannabis. Um, so my attitude and my votes when I was in the state legislature reflected the belief that I don't think your right to enjoy imbibe in a substance should impede on my right not to. When I walk the two unit blocks of downtown Frederick, North Market or East Patrick, and I'm assaulted in the air with the smell of marijuana, it doesn't add to my quality of life. Um, as this continues, we're going to have to figure that out. We're definitely going to have to figure that out. Um, panhandlers. So there's a poor guy who sits in front of the Starbucks on North Market Street in downtown Frederick, who I have to walk by 10 times a day. 10 times a day, he says, hey, man, you got a dollar? <clears throat> 10 times a day, I say, look, I don't really carry cash anymore, my debit card. So if you have a square, most people we, don't, yeah. we can transact some business, but uh, I don't have change and I don't have bills in my wallet or my pocket. Um, to the extent now when I walk by him, he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. He puts his <laughs> hands up. Um, one of these days, he's going to pull out a square on the phone and I'm, I'm going to be screwed <laughs> and I'm going to have to make a contribution. But um, those issues, while they seem minor, untreated, not dealt with, will have a seriously detrimental effect because a visitor who's coming to your community to invest their money and leave won't come back if their experience is negative. They got a parking yeah. ticket that they couldn't get voided, they won't be back. And they'll write letters to the editor and they'll tell a thousand people how awful the experience was. So it's, 
I, I think that's a concern of mine, something that needs to be addressed, this yeah. question of quality of life and how do you maintain what it is that's special. I mean, Carroll Creek Linear Park and, you know, the um, the lighted boats during the wintertime and yeah. the greenery that floats on the creek now, those are huge advantages. But I would suggest that the future, you can't take for granted what it is you celebrate about a place because it can change and it can change quickly. So you've got to be vigilant and yeah. pay attention, be a good steward. Understand some of the smaller issues and sure. they won't become larger sure. issues. Right? And some of those are like things like mental health. And I know that's an issue that Hagerstown, former mayor Keller, who's a pretty good friend of mine, uh, special secretary Keller now, is dealing with an issue that affects all of us, which yeah. is this opioid crisis and how we get our arms around that. Same thing. I mean, there are, there are folks that are on benches in Carroll Creek Linear Park, just like they're on Washington Street, who are waiting for the next opportunity to shoot up because they have to. Um, and they don't have anywhere to go. And so they're out there, they're exposed, they're asking for, you know, people to give them money. Um, we've got to address that mental health crisis in a big way, or that too will become one of those detriments to quality of life. And that's where one issue can lead to another and sure. it all it all intersects there. So definitely valuable to be proactive in those type of things as well. And um, uh, understanding what's going on, I think, is is the first hurdle there. But right. um yeah. Thank, well, thank you for that insight. This has been great. We, I mean, we could have easily gone probably another <laughs> hour, maybe another two hours, but um, we'll keep it here. This might be our longest episode, but there was not a wasted minute. Thanks. Not so, at all. so um, happy, happy you could join us here. Uh, Rick Weldon, one more time for, for our audience. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you listeners for giving us your time and tuning in. Thank you, Steph. Once again, great co-host as always. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of Innovative Leadership. See you then.